Hey, <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome back to Grief After Dark, season two, Dark Matter. It matters and it's dark. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So the direction that we kind of started going here, and you know, you you all know how this works. This is a loose theory. It's more of a guideline. It's pirate law. It's pirate law. <laughs> it's definitely not carved in stone, but... As of right now, we've kind of got our interviews broken down into a few different themes. And we thought it would be cool to start out with the theme of sharing grief. Yeah, sharing grief in the sense that when you have more people to carry a thing, it, the lighter the thing is. It's not that the weight changes, it's that the distribution of what has to be carried is spread out among many instead of all piled on to one person. So we thought it would be really important to kind of bring in some resources, bring in some experts in in various fields to talk about what they do, why they do it, how they do it, where they do it. And our first guest is Tony Lynch from Memories of Us. Yes. Tony has created a nonprofit and it is geared entirely towards creating resources, community, and aid to the grief community, specifically men. And don't we all know that that is one of the areas that's really kind of not talked about as often. It's not as well tended to as we would women's emotions. Yeah. There's so many conversations coming up and I swear every time we talk to somebody, everybody's got something to bring to the table where I'm just like, oh my God, I never even thought about it. Yeah, it's like a banquet. And you know, there's so many things to choose from and there's so many delicious things to choose from. All of this work is hard. All of this work is, is grueling. It's exhausting. It's also very rewarding in the sense that we get to share the load. We get to share in other people's stories. We get to tap into their resources. We get to witness others in their vulnerability. And that is so important. It is important work. And it really is one of those like complex experiences where you feel like a crazy person. And the community, just in hearing someone else express some of the darkest matter that you've experienced in your mind and heart. Right. To hear someone else express it and have that moment of like that exhale like wow you know they just said what was going on in my brain that I couldn't verbalize I connected with that feeling I connected with their experience and even if the experiences aren't similar the feeling probably is similar and so like the resonance that we're creating across cultures across experiences across the world right now are incredible and so i I also want to give a disclaimer here for people um a trigger warning for suicide and if you are sensitive to that and those kinds of conversations this probably is not the conversation for you we will get into it and do take care of yourself if you are going to listen to the full episode make sure you do have your self-care regimen in place yep Thank you all for being here. And I hope you enjoy our conversation with Tony Lynch. This podcast.
podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen mm-hmm. with your own motherfucking discretion. <laughs> <laughs> Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. So, five, four, three, two, one. I'll just say, Tony Lynch, everybody. <laughs> welcome to Grief After Dark. Yeah, welcome to the party. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be here. Also, and welcome back, everybody else. Gosh, we've been away for a while. We have. We missed it. You guys I are slackers. I know. <laughs> we actually, just before we talked to you, we were talking, Dee and I were talking about how there's probably a lot of people out there that are fine with complacent, sort of drab lives. And yeah. I think the entire rest of us always feels like we're falling a little bit short. Like we could always be doing just a little bit more. Exactly. Right. Even exactly. though we're doing too much. And yeah. I think it's a blessing and a curse, honestly. It, it is. You know, since I really started pushing everything forward with my nonprofit, I don't think I get more than four hours of sleep a night now. Wow. I, I'm, I am literally like... Throughout the daytime, if I'm not sitting in front of the computer doing Zoom calls with people, because, you know, like people who don't live in Colorado that I can't get to, I set up one-on-one Zooms with them. So if I'm not doing that, I'm doing podcasting. If I'm not doing podcasting, I'm thinking of ways of helping, well, growing my organization, but also how can I help another person grow theirs as well? So, you know, and so I'm constantly thinking of that as well. And I'm going, okay, I have different branches off of my nonprofit. Like I have a men's recovery group. I have a men's suicide and depression group. I have a men's mental health group. We're about to formulate a uh, um, men's veteran support group. I'm not a vet, but I have people who are that just want to be a part of it. So I'm constantly making sure that my guys are in good places because I had to go through a whole team in order to get the team that I, that I have now. And that was hard because the people I brought in, I was like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. You know, I don't want to do men. I don't want to do recovery. I don't want to do mental health and things like that. And it worked for a little bit. The problem was, is that I was taking on the work for them. Like I I started taking on their responsibilities. So I was like, this is not working because I'm not focusing on what I really want to do, which is grief work. I do men's grief support Mm -hmm. and we deal with the trauma that comes in with those. You know, so that's how everything was formulated, because I was I was like, well, you know, if we're going to do it, I need to dive deeper into what I've gone through in my own experiences with grief and my loss and everything. And I need to start putting these things together. So I did what made sense to me. I was like, the five stages of grief don't look nothing like what people think it does when it comes down to a man. It looks like addiction. It looks like it looks like depression and isolation. It looks like anger issues. It looks like homelessness and a whole lot of bad choices. I am that I am that guy. I am that guy. So when I did it, I was like, well, I just need to figure out a way to bring the right people around me. And then we're going to do it from there. So instead of going outside of, you know, saying that general area, I was like, oh, I'm going to start meeting people, see where their passion is, get to know them. And, you know, saying if it's a good fit, I'm going to offer them a position to come and help facilitate, make help build this branch off over here. So we're now in the process, like all of these different branches, 
I'm in a process of building five, um, getting them to be 5013 cs so they're their own separate entity, even though they are part of members of us. Because I don't want people to work for me. I want people to work with me. Right. And tell us a little bit more about Memories of Us, because that really grabbed me when I was going through you know, Instagram accounts. And mm-hmm. I was like, I have not seen very many men doing this work. And that you, what you just said right there is the reason why I started it. Mm-hmm. So, and just to tell you about members of us, I have to tell you the foundation of it. Please. Right? So the foundation came, it was after I lost my son, after my son passed away. That's where it really began it. And what really broken open is that after my mom passed away two years after, mm. and I went through it, I went through it. I made, I was that guy that made the bad decisions. Almost, almost took my life. I planned on my own suicide. I was real clever with everything, knew how to hurt people so I can have that open window. I was already, I had already lost everything. I had already lost everything. And so I was like, I have nothing else. Why am I still here? I don't understand why. And then that day came and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. The fear of it was not there anymore. And I just knew, I was like, in order for me to do it, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. So I'm going to have to play this right. So I started hurting my friends and stuff that used to call me on certain days. I would ignore their phone calls on purpose and then give them a call uh, the day after. So they got used to me calling. Like if I disappeared, they didn't worry about me, you know? So they got used to me not answering my phone. And so I was like, okay, now, you know, I'm going to plan this out. I got used to, when they got used to coming over to the house and I wasn't there, well, they stopped coming over to my place, you know? And I was like, okay, I got, then I got myself an open window, two and a half months, almost three months I planned it out. And then the night came that I was going to do it. Couldn't have planned it out any better than that. This was there. I was committed to it. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, if you look at the mindset that comes with it, I had given up. And as someone who's as resilient as I am in life, just from what life has taught me, there is no give up in me. So it took a lot for me to get there. After that incident, the light went off. Like I was there. Then someone called me like that. The night I was going to do it, I was sitting out in the middle of the desert, had it all planned out, paid my car note up about three months. They're not going to come looking for the car. And when they do, when the tow truck comes and picks it up in three months, there's nothing going to be left of me. I'm out in the middle of the desert. You have mountain lions and little rodents that's going to, they love scavengers. I planned it out. I was like, there's no, there's no, there's not going to be nothing left except for a blood stain in the car. You know, maybe some scattered bones and, and pieces of my clothing all over the place, you know, but okay, we're going to finish it off that way. It feels like forever, but two seconds goes by. And I am about ready to pull the trigger. Someone called my name. Now, mind you, I'm in the middle of nowhere. But someone called my name just as uh, as I'm talking here to you, clear as day. And I remember just getting up because that was the last thing I wanted anyone to see is to see me shoot myself. It's going to scar you. I'm not I'm not into leaving scars. I've already done enough damage. I don't want to do any more. And I got up, looked around, turned on my headlights and everything because it's pitch black. It's just me, the mountains and the stars. And there was nobody there. And I just remember sitting there and I started shaking. And something came over top of me and was like, now do you get it? Huh? What do you mean? 
What do you mean? Look, I'm going to show you something. And I just started reflecting. And I didn't know why I was reflecting. I just knew I was reflecting. Now, when I left there, I remember going to a friend of mine's house and I gave him my gun. And he looks at me. I said, I don't need that. And he looks at me again. What happened? I said, if I have to be honest with you, I'm not supposed to be sitting here right now, but I am for a reason. But I do need you to take this because next time I try, I'm going to succeed. I'm there. I'm not going to stop the next time. And that thing came over top of me. I was like, if I'm going to go forward, I need to get some help. So this is where I noticed the gap in support. So I did go out. I did search for support for men and things like that. And what I found was an abundance of support for men, women, and children in a co-ed setting, or it was either women or children. Men had nothing. And the groups that were out there, they were so small that they had given up too. They were like, we can't do it. And I was like, man, why is it so hard? And so from that point on, I became curious about what I was going through because no one ever taught me about grief. No one ever taught me about how to deal with these things, you know, and now I have no parents. I have no little brother. I have no son. And so it was a lot to take in at that moment. And I was just going, there has to be something to be done. Now, I had the bright idea of saying, you know what, I think I'm going to start a men's group to fill in this gap. I just don't know how I'm supposed to do it. But now there's the other side to it. So as I'm going through this process after that moment, I started meeting other men just like myself. It was I was like a beacon. I can use that for something. So when I started bouncing around the idea, I remember sitting around in my buddy's uh, garage and we were talking about it. And I just kept telling him, I'm going to do it. I don't know why I'm supposed to do it. And this is a crazy idea, but I'm going to do it. Am I that crazy to actually pull it off, right? And so we bounced around uh, ideas for the name and it was started off as men like me, uh, fathers like myself. You know, I was just focusing on one aspect of men who have lost children, but I had multiple losses that needed to be addressed as well. And so I couldn't focus on one and neglect the other ones that were out there because those are part of me. And that began a journey of healing, of understand what it was like to heal. And so I, I formed memories of us. I was like, okay, I'm an introvert. I have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong introvert. And you could put look, the quarantine and have nothing on me. I sat back and was going like this. Yeah, you're in real good company here. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm in good company. We know. I have no problems with sitting in the house by myself. Same. I don't. And so that's what it was like. I was like, man, there's something to this. And that's where the journey began. I was like, man, what is this thing? So I started researching. I started started developing this very intimate relationship with with my grief, my losses. And what it gave me in turn was all of this knowledge, this wisdom that I realized that I couldn't carry with me. And so I was going, you know what? It's going to happen. Now, mind you, I didn't know how to do any of this. No one ever taught me how to start a nonprofit or any sort of business at, at all, right? You know, the business that I did start, I was, I'm was i a certified personal trainer. So I was like, well, I do have a little bit of knowledge, but this one's a little bit different, you know? And so I started on that journey and um, I started doing podcasting because I wanted, I was looking for mentors. 
as, as we started going, I was looking for someone who could mentor me in this walk. And I realized there was none. So I had to become my own mentor. Hmm. I had to teach myself everything that was going on. And then out came Memories of Us. Now, I came up with Memories of Us after all of those other names because it made sense. It was like, what's the one thing I kept, what is the one thing that I'm missing that, you know, that, that can stand out? Well, when you think about uh, loss and things like that, women carry around pictures of the, of the lost loved ones. Men don't do that. We keep it up here. So that was the basis behind Members of Us. That's the meaning behind it. It came from, I get it now. It's the Memories of Us. You know what I'm saying? And it's a reminder of, hey, they were still part of your life and they deserve to be remembered. Yeah. I'm going to create a space for us to be able to do those same exact things. And to do that work with other men, I think, you know, um, my, I myself, I'm a bereaved parent as well. Mm. And working with my husband, it's like everything that I was trying to give him as a resource was rejected, basically. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm the person to help you. And that is a lot of grief for me because little Miss Helpy Helperton, everybody, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know, you at the table, you getting help today like you gonna eat you gonna it's gonna be good like this is gonna you know be a thing but when we come up against like relating as as men and women it's very different respect of grieving and how do you find that space for men to talk about their rage and to talk about suicide and to talk about those feelings without shaming them yeah. or making them seem weak for feeling what they're feeling, but they've gone through things that are just incredibly devastating. Mm-hmm. When you, when you think about things like that, you have to create their environment. Cause as a man, the one thing that I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to go see a therapist. Right. I tried. And when I, when, because the church I was going to was like, Hey, we have counselors that we would like you to talk to. And so I met one of the counselors and this counselor is talking. Now I'm a very intelligent guy. So, and I'm also a smart ass too. So I turned around and I looked at him and I said, you know, what qualifies you to be able to talk on a subject like this? Because I want to know if you can relate to what I'm going through. Right. Or are you just talking from book knowledge? And come to find out, he was talking from book knowledge. Or oh, I've never lost anyone that close to me. You know what I'm saying? I've lost friends as, as I moved on. This is different. You have nothing that you can give me. Uh, you know, so, so this conversation stops right here. I'm not going to waste your time. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? And please don't waste mine. But no, it's not going to happen. I need someone who I can relate to. So when we talk about men and being in a space like that, the thing is that what people don't understand when they say men don't talk, put us in a room together. Mm. Put us in a room together. Girl, we've been there talking about all kinds of things. This is not just all football and barbecue. That's the part. It's like getting them to the room. I, I live with an introvert. Mm-hmm. I li- like, I'm also like, you know, if mm-hmm. y'all don't see me for the next three months, it's going to be fine. Getting them to the room. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm something, something that, um, that dawned on me. The post that I put out, Right. It caught your attention. Absolutely. Well, it caught my attention. This is right. the work that I do. Right. Like, but it caught your like, attention. So now remind 
the, the, your social media platform, you can reach a lot more people. They just follow the hashtags. You'd be surprised at how many men will, will sit up there and hashtag men support groups, right? And then take them straight to that page. And then word of mouth, you know, because it, it was something new that no one ever heard about. There's a men's grief support? What in the world? So now I'm the shiny new diamond in the rough. I just needed to be uncovered. That's all it was. So when I started poking my head out and going, hey, I'm over here, I was in a world, I was in a world full of people and I was just only one person and I didn't feel like I was being seen, but it was not giving up and then appealing to the masculine side of men because now I'm a man talking about it. I'm 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 making the videos, I'm putting the post up, and it's hard. It's it's definitely hard. There was times I wanted to give up and say, you know what? This is not working. I'm not going to do it. I wanted to do it. And in those times, something said, no, you have to take it to the next step. This isn't working. Try the next thing. Okay, I'm going to try the next thing. And I fail at that. I'm going to try the next thing. I may get a little bit of movement, but not enough. But see, those little bit of movements made that ripple effect. It's just now I have to make those little movements consistently. And so I figured, I was like, well, I have a niche audience. I need to focus on that, not on everything else on the outside. You know, this is my lane. I'm going to stay in this lane. I'm going to see where it goes. So for a year and a half, you know, I was trying to do support groups and things like that. I'm like, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm thinking it's just going to catch on. We're like wildfire. It didn't. Right. You know, and then when COVID hit, everything went virtual. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Okay, well, you know, we're going to see how this works. So I started using that platform. And I was like, you know what? There's a way to do this. When I went virtual, it took me about two to three months before I had men start coming in. My guys were, they were like, dude, why are we doing this? I was like, it has to work. It has to work. I'm going to keep promoting. I'm going to keep making other posts. I'm going to be consistent with it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then then one group, we had five people show up. I was like, man. We own something. Then the conversation in, in that group changed. They started telling other people. Then, I, then I'm looking at these other organizations. I'm like, wow, you know, if I can just work with someone like this, I can learn a little bit more to do better at what I'm doing. And then I found out I was searching all the wrong places. Instead of looking outside of there, I should have been looking at what was being given to me and building from there because I had the vision. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I just didn't know how I was supposed to do it. But the blueprint was there. So I started following that and I started following this vision and I kept it clear. I kept it very precise on everything that I needed to do. So I had to become very intentional. And so when men, other men started hearing about the groups, they come up and go, well, they, they would message, message me across the social media platforms. Hey, well, I heard you run a men's support group. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yes, I can. Yeah, I, I sure can. And I started talking to him and, and I realized that we were speaking the same languages. Oh, I got it now. Mm-hmm. So then when I started advertising the online support groups again, now I got 14 men that came in. And then the next time I had another 21 men that came in. Now we're up to hundreds of men across the board, internationally wow. and nationally. But it's, it's staying consistent and understanding the journey is lessons that need to be learned through the challenges that you go through to make you better at what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, OK, I'm, I'm going to stick to the blueprint. You know what I'm saying? I understand the assignment now. 
You understand the assignment now. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand the assignment now, and it was like, okay, yes. that's that's where I'm going to go, and I I stayed committed to it, and I just no matter what happened, the challenges, the hoops I had to jump through, I'm a, I'm gonna stay committed to it. I know it's on the other side because I was the guy that almost was the statistic. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And no one would even know who I was. My whole bloodline would have been wiped out and no one would right. even know who I was. So I was like, I was listening to Les Brown and he was like, your why has to be bigger than anything that you ever, it, it has to be your main purpose. And I was like, oh, my son is my why. My mother and my father is my why. My younger brother is my why. And all of my family members and my friends who have passed away, that's the reason why I do this. And the other side of that, I don't want the next man to have to be another statistic walking around. I want to make sure that we have every opportunity to be able to talk about what we're going through, actually be men, because there's another side of manhood that men don't really think about. Right. Because we've all been taught men don't do this and men don't do that. And you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. And it it's incredible how that has become the the statement of the century mm-hmm. men aren't taught to do <laughs> right, right. they're told not to do right. and so working with all of the conditioning that men have mm-hmm. has to be like some of the toughest work i keep hearing both of you talking about just getting them in the room yes and that is really something that i think is is this is something that girls grow up with i mean so girls, girls aren't even themselves unless there's a bunch of us in the room together. And that's mm-hmm. when we like are our best self. We bring it out in one another. Men really, I mean, some do. Right. Some I feel do. like in general, they do it less. Um, and yeah, like you got me thinking a lot, actually listening to your podcast and looking at the work that you do, Tony. I feel like in grief, you know, women, we focus a lot in this country on how historically women have been very marginalized, very oppressed, really Mm. silenced. And grief is one of those things where women, you know, we actually can have emotion without coming across as totally hysterical. We're given the allowance to feel things. And that's where men start to become oppressed and marginalized and silenced. But if you give it enough time in the world of grief, the playing field ends up leveled because society expects all of us to just get over it and right. get past it and not talk about it and, you know, suck it up and bootstraps and, and tra-la-la. Mm-hmm. So what has been your experience in, in gender roles in grief? Um, hoping people take accountability for what they actually do. And the reason why I say that is because when you, when you tell a man at an early age, like my mom used to whip my butt, right? You know what I'm saying? I used to get my butt whipped all the time, you know? <laughs> and now the, the damage that's done when the mom whoops a son is something that's carried with that son for a long time. And I don't think people really understand why men are the way that we are. So you can only get hit and beat so many times and get told you might want to stop crying before I give you something to cry about. Now, look at the long term. What have you done to me? You taught me how to suppress, not express. Yeah. 
So no matter what happens, you heard that enough time. You got enough men in your life to tell you, you need to man up. Young men don't cry. Keep It's going to be care. It's going to be all right. Young blood. Don't don't cry. You know, my uncles and stuff used to tell me that people in the neighborhood used to tell me that. So that's exactly what I did. And I became angry. I was the angry kid that walked around that gang bang that had all of these things that I knew how to hurt people. Right. And I got good at hurting people. I was like, if I got to feel pain, you got to feel pain, too. Game banging was my outlet. It was like, I can hurt you. And, I, and I'm not going to feel bad for it because now I have an excuse over a color. Mm. I got an excuse to put this anger out to the world because I can have the same hatred for you that I can have for the next person that I don't know. And I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I could take out all my anger on that individual, but it's the long-term effect. So 20 years, almost 30 years of doing that, you know, went to prison, um, get out of prison. I, I mean, I've been homeless over 14 times in my whole entire life, lost everything, right? Get to prison. I'm, I get out. I'm almost 30 years old. I lose everything again. So my wife took me in a different direction. So I followed that direction. I went in a direction where I didn't have to feel, you know, I can make money, you know what I'm saying? I can do exactly what I'm doing and no one even know. That that came back on me because once I gave up that part of my life, I literally gave it up and went homeless again. I, I made a choice. I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done. Whatever happens, that's this is what's going to have to happen. So I had to get out of my comfort zone in the hood, go to a whole different place and learn how to live. But I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. So I have to learn how to survive. So I took the live out of place and replaced it with survive. I now have to learn how to survive. All with that whole notion after seeing everything I've ever seen, losing countless friends, you know, and I think that that time my last grandmother had passed away and I had a real tight knit close family, right? My grandmother was my best friend. She was my escape from when mom was whooping my butt. I can go to grandma's house because grandma go protect me. Mama ain't gonna beat me in front of grandma. You know what I'm saying? Grandma could be her. Yeah, so. you know what I'm saying? Grandma go grandma. Handle, handle that business, grandma. You know what I'm saying? Show her what mm-hmm. she's doing to me, right? You know, mm-hmm. it was it was one of those things. So being older, and I finally started living a little bit more, but then I became an alcoholic. So I'm I'm going, I'm going 10 steps forward and taking 12 steps backwards, right? You know what I'm saying? Now I'm, I'm making money now, I'm doing it the legal way. You know, I just gotta work a, I just gotta work a harder job. I'm a workhorse. You know what I'm saying? You put me in any environment, as long as you got construction, garbage, or whatever, I'm gonna survive. I can do that. I can I can definitely do that. I no one ever taught me how to live. So I did that for a little bit, became an alcoholic, and then after all of my losses, fast forward, and after I started Members of Us, that, that's when I started having the realization of all the damage that happens to men as we grow older. So it became this thing that I had to relive my life backwards because I was tired of being angry. Mm-hmm. I was tired of having bad relationships, you know, and I've had many relationships that just fail. I was like, this is not normal. You cannot and have, it's normalized enough. Right. It's nor, it's normalized enough. I was like, okay, you know, by that time I'd have gone through 30, 40 relationships that all fell. And I wanted to blame the person until I was like, maybe you're the problem, Tony. Maybe, maybe it's not about them. Maybe it's about you. So I was like, why? So I started doing some soul searching. I started going through my life backwards because I needed to understand why am I this way? I don't want to be this way anymore. 
what that does, it sets you up for the true healing that needs to be done through your grief. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it's all about. Your grief is just a trigger or, or reaction from something else. Yes, that's one of the things that I talk about often right. is what people don't really understand is that it triggers every single bad thing that has ever happened to you. Right. And there are people in this world who have so much grief underneath an impact Mm -hmm. and you can't predict how it's going to go. And bringing it back to gender roles, it's like, I know what I came packing with to my relationship. Right. And then for us to have a baby and then for her to grow up, for her to be four years old and then just suddenly die in her sleep. I know what that did to me. And I know exactly what it unearthed. Yes. Having to carry that and also somebody else's grief. So I'm imagining like for men, if you're not taught to really honor or acknowledge your grief at all, how do you be in a relationship and have a solid partnership? And when something terrible happens, how do you effectively support your partner? Right. At all. You pretend. But right. And I think that this is the stern tone, the stone that we need to turn right now right. is that we need to really support men in this renaissance, basically, of like you can acknowledge your stuff mm-hmm. and here's the room to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties into how we do relationships regardless and like when you were talking about having these 40 relationships that didn't work out but you were reflecting and maybe it's me and you know and a lot of times men don't really do that right and And they're not given the room to even do that Mm -hmm. and then when they do do that they may or may not like what they see right what's easier dealing with with the things that you have to go through or leave yeah and and that brings to mind my father yeah my like immediately that's the first person that pops up into my mind because you know I was five years old when my parents got a divorce and that was such a big impact on my life my whole life Mm -hmm. his absence and in these last couple of years since his death he died at the very beginning of 2020 right before COVID the shutdown and everything of who he was and why he was coping the way he was coping yeah And, and it's natural it's it's yeah. a natural thing, right? You know, and I have I have two other girls and I did the same thing with them, you know, so I can't, I'm not one to judge a father for what he did. I, I really am not because I'm no better. Right. And at I'll this point, I don't even you. judge him anymore because now I get it. <laughs> exactly. See, when I have my girls, my lifestyle did not permit me to be a good man. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if, if my girls would have stayed with me, the possibilities of them getting killed goes up mm-hmm. because of the things that I was doing, because of the people that I was around and the lifestyle that I was living. It was not a safe place. So I had to make a constant decision, whether if anybody understood it or not, it didn't really matter to me. I had I knew that I had to do what was right by them. So a selfless act. I told their mothers that, hey, you need to get you need to get them far away from me as you possibly can. You don't have to tell them who I am, but I'll never bother you. I won't ever bother you. But if you stay here with me, it's not going to be good. I cannot survive this life and take care of you. It's just not feasible. I'm ducking, dodging bullets every day. 
You know, I'm running from the police. I'm, I, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to navigate this world. So don't do this to them. Don't put them around me and have them be another product of something that I'm doing or the choices that I've made. Get away from me, far away, and whatever happens, happens. And that was my choice. You know what? My oldest daughter, she actually has her master's, right? Um, she's, a, she's a microbiologist and everything. Very intelligent young lady. Very, very beautiful, right? You know, I met her for the first time two years ago. Oh, wow. I never thought I was ever going to see her again. She, I went to, I went to a family reunion, a family reunion around family that I haven't been, been around for over 30 years. So wow. the last time my family saw me, I was in the teenagers. And then the last time they saw me, I'm in my 40s. You know, and here's my daughter sitting there. And I'm just like, man, you just know, right? And uh, I just remember she she kept trying to get her attention. I was told previously that she didn't want anything to do with me and that, you know, like to keep my distance. So I did. I was like, I'm being respectful. I don't, I have not earned that right. I have not earned that right. And this is what she wants. I got to respect that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, saying the thing is, is that it's, she knew. And so she kept trying to get my attention. I'm just, and I wanted to jump up so bad and just like, little girl, look, we got to go talk because I, I need to let you know <laughs> that I'm I'm the guy who who contributed to you being born. I'm the sperm donor. <laughs> right? I'm the sperm donor, you know, so I can't say that. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. You know what I'm saying? Hi. <laughs> and, uh, so we did get the chance to talk, but uh, we, we didn't get the chance to talk after that. And um, I didn't think I was going to see her again anyway, because I was on, you know, that's when everything had happened. I was going to take my own life. I was like, I've lived long enough to see my daughter become a beautiful young woman, Mm. a very well educated young woman. I'm I'm good with that. I don't need nothing else. So when I do this, best believe, you know what I'm saying? I've already fulfilled that part of my life. Now I look back on it and I go, you know what? I'm going to build something that's going to be here long after I'm gone. So that's that's one of those things. I want her to be able to look up and go, you know, not just, oh, that's Tony. He's the guy that, you know, had a baby with my mother and I'm the baby or whatever. And I never even called me. I want her to look at him and go, you know what? That's my father. I may not have the chance to get to know him, but he did do something good with his life. And I want to be an example for her as she moves through this life, even though we may not communicate. She may be watching me from afar because I know I check up on I check up on her social media. Right. You know, I who is this dude she's with? Do I need to go punch somebody in the head? Yeah, I need to go. You, know, you can't be doing this, man. Like, oh, I know what you're doing. Hmm, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can love her from afar. She don't need to know that I still check up on her and everything. But the work that we do is, is so rewarding. So that's one of the things that that I uh, often help people realize is that men as men, when we are going through something, we often result to the things that make us comfortable, that gives us joy, which is acts of service. Mm-hmm. And I realize now that is my love language, mm-hmm. time and acts of service. So I get up every day and I live my love language. So I started teaching men how to talk. You know what I'm saying? Not just the verbal communication, because there's another language out there that people never even think about when you're talking about grief, which is your love language. Yep. So we may not be able to communicate verbally everything that's going on with us, 
but we can, and this is something that's embedded in us. We will communicate through our love languages. A lot of times people misread the love language or they don't understand (laughs) that that's what they're doing. And so I bring all of that stuff to the forefront. I help men develop those tools. I even share the tools that I've learned throughout the time and go, this is what I've learned. Feel free to take anything that you want to implement them as you're going through it. And so now we're starting to see the healing. We started seeing yes. men come back out. Their conversations change. They don't, they're not ashamed to, to come to the group and be like, what's up, fellas? You know what I'm saying? Even, even on the virtual platform, which is even more comfortable because they don't have to leave the comfort of their own home. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They could be sitting up there in boxes and just got on a shirt talking about, hey, fellas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah you, you- I honestly, like, I believe that the, the socials have been a gift for us right now. A lot of us in the sense that maybe we don't want to leave our homes and we want the help, but we just maybe don't have the energy. We don't have the access, not even to go into people who don't have access to the internet. I mean, there's so much grief. There's so much grief. There's so many layers and like having access like social media around the world right now, it's nothing to shit on. No, We need to use this tool as best we can as often as possible and mm-hmm. create those communities and take that step across the threshold and say, hey, you know what? I know this doesn't feel normal. I know this doesn't feel like comfortable, but it's effective. Our reach is is far and wide right now. And I'm so thankful for that. Yes. What advice and, and what steps would you tell somebody to take right now in this moment to get some help if they need it? Well, I, I would tell them, identify your needs. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's tons of support groups out there. Identify your needs first mm-hmm. and then go on a trial run. You know how easy it is to go join a group just to check it out, to see what it's all like and everything. And what a lot of people think is that when you get in these groups, you get stuck in them. Right. And a lot of times they're not active. And I go, you know what? Instead of just being an inactive member, just unjoin it. It's just that easy. Identify your needs and then narrow it down to a slim search. And go look at those support groups. Take it for a trial run, right? If you don't like it, back out of it. It's no big thing. You know what I'm saying? But if you like it, see what they offer. And just keeping to that right there, identify what you need from what sort of support you need, right? I just did a post on social media about that, building a community around your grief. And it was universal because I wanted men and women to actually look at it because it's a common mistake that people make. You go to a group and it may be a group to where people just vent in there. You know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. no educational aspects. And it's, that's good. If that's the place, that's what you want, right? You know, and they may join a group and they, this group is like, hey, we're going to meet, you know what I'm saying, virtually once a month and we're going to do a workshop to, you know what I'm saying, go over these tools. It's more educational. It's helping you guide through your grief. It's a you know, so depending on what you need, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, sticking to that and don't be afraid to modify it if that's what you need to do, because your grief is personalized to you. Yes. It has yeah. nothing to do with anybody else. I don't care what what Tom, Dick and Harry is doing over here, because what they're doing is working for them. It may not work for me. So right. I say be selfish be selfish about it. Make sure that you're getting everything that you need. Is it, is it a place that you can feel free to talk? Are, are the people there supporting you? There's the verbal communication up there. You know, is the educational aspect to it is there. But most of all, do you have those people that can communicate through what you do your love language? 
Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then from there, you can work on everything else. You got the basis behind it because you narrowed it down. And now you can work on, you know what I'm saying? Your, your, your mental health. You can work on your health in general. You know, you can you can modify all of this. So if you're not looking for those things, don't be afraid to go out there and just give something a test run. Give it a test run. It's like a car, right? You know what I'm saying? You don't like the car, you take it back. Ain't no sense right. for a car that you don't want. <laughs> Ain't no sense of right. Yeah. So it's creating a space for that where it's non-judgment because just because I can relate to the next person and what they're going through from my own personal experiences, I may not be able to give you the support that you need. And I'm okay with that because I have other resources as well. And I'm, I've worked with other organizations from across the board. So if my group is don't fit you, trust me, I'm not taking it personal because I want you to have the best possible support that is right for you. Mm-hmm. So it's not about me. I do exactly what I need to do. I, you know what I'm saying? And I formulate my groups and that's how I grow my men. Like I said, we got a few hundred across the board right now and they're very active with one another. Very, very active. They, they be in a group talk. We ain't going to talk about that, but they be in a group. <laughs> Let's just say we've had some interesting conversations around yes. dating, you know what I'm saying? So they always come to me and go, Tony, if you was trying to date someone uh, and going through all of this, you know, how would you approach it? I said, well, for one, I've been single for three years, so dating is not on their agenda for me. <laughs> That right there, though, that's a really valid question, because, again, going back to those gender roles of like the you are supposed to be doing this this way because you're X, Y, Z or whatever. But changing that narrative and like telling a new story and deciding that you are worthy just how you are and you are allowed to date and you are allowed to do your things and you are allowed to live your life and 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 have some pleasure and have enjoyment but again you have to be careful with that we were built for this yeah we were built for it but now when you're searching for companionship while you're going through your trauma you bond through your trauma and so mm-hmm. now you're bonding to each other through the trauma because when you're going through, you attract the you attract the person that's going through it as well. And so instead of taking the time to heal, you're bouncing off each other. No one's going anywhere, right? right? You know what I'm saying? I got somebody I can talk to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then this person has someone that they could talk to, so they misconstrued it. Right. right. Oh, me. I can go on forever about trauma bonding. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Me too, but you know what I'm saying? On a simpler aspect, it's like, okay, we don't realize it. We don't realize it because we, we're lonely. I've I done it before and I had to, I had to come back and blow up in my face and everything. So I, I speak from experience when it comes to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I trauma bonded one time and, and it was like it, what I was going through was too much for her. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though I was I was like, I just don't want to be alone anymore. And that's what it was. Right. And I was being selfish in that aspect of it, because if I would have been thinking about it, I would have been like, I'm not going to do this. I need to take some time for me. Mm-hmm. no matter what that looks like. And I need to be disciplined and develop those habits so I don't make those same mistakes over again. So trauma mm-hmm. bonding, you know, and I, I see it across the board. These guys are like, man, you know, I just don't want to be alone, you know, but I, I want somebody to, you know, cuddle with and things like that. I'm going, well, you have to make a decision of what you want. Well, I want someone I can spend the rest of my life with. Sad part about it is, my friend, it's not going to happen. Not why you're going through this. And they go, what do you know, Tony? I mean, there's no 
guarantee even when you're not going through. But how many, how many, okay. Something so traumatic. Mm -hmm. Now ask yourself this question. How many relationships are formed through trauma that don't carry the trauma with them and actually make it? Well, I don't know because honestly, like, I feel like we've all been really conditioned in in a certain way (laughs) to to have certain relationships Mm -hmm. and that when we, you know, when we do a thing, it has to be forever and that relationships can't be for the moment or for, you know, whatever period of time and that it doesn't have to last forever and even forever. What is forever, you know? Yeah. I think it's hard too when you're in that much pain to be honest with yourself that you're just trying to feel better. Yeah. Yes. It's if I can find it in a relationship or a bottle or like whatever the distraction is, like it's hard to cut through the fat, to cut through all that pain and be like, I just want to forget about this for a minute. Exactly. Like I just want to go hang out with somebody and be distracted and feel uh-huh. better for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If someone approaches me in that manner it's like oh okay cool you know I'm more apt to hear that than I am to hear like oh let's have a whole relationship and do this forever (laughs) you know think about it now you're conditioned to watch it if you had not gotten into this work like most of us have those obvious signs that are there we're oblivious to it we can accept that (laughs) Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? I'd rather accept this than to be alone, right? You know, yeah. well, no matter what you're doing, they could be a straight up narcissist, yes. right? right. You're like, I can accept that than other than being alone. So now you gave an excuse to actually pursue that. So when that person mm-hmm. treats you bad and the relationship is going rocky and everything, it's easier to accept than to go, you know what? I need something better. You're going to look at it and you're going to make the excuse of this person was with me in the worst moments of my life. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I've seen it so many times where it's like you're in the worst position of your life Mm -hmm. and you have these relationships and it's like, you know, the relationship's not working out. I mean, like in a sense now we can see these things coming Uh because I do this work all the time. Uh It's like, you know, if you just need a friend, say that and go get a friend. I need about a month of your time. (laughs) you know i just need to not be thinking about all this bullshit i'm doing right now and it's not serious and it's not but we are not really conditioned to say those things that we need which you know we circle back to that thing of i can't even tell you what i need and be taken seriously you automatically supposed to know because now you relate to what i'm going through so trauma bond Right. You're going through the same thing, something similar to what I'm going through. So you should mm-hmm. men look for and I, women. I do want to say, too, that that is not expressly like limited to romantic relationships no, either. No, right. no, it's, it's, no, it's like, all across the board. You know it's all it's across the board. Yeah, so men like, do it with, with ourselves and friendships and our families and mm-hmm. things like that. Right. We always looking for someone who we can talk to, you know, and we're not really addressing what we're going through. We're just talking about it, right? You know what I'm saying? So you trauma bomb because now, especially with men, we're like, oh man, you know what? Tonight, let's go hit the bar. That's not healthy. You know what I'm saying? Or most men will go, you know what? They out, they out club and having fun, you know, back in the day. I know that's what they used to do. Right. Days, that's what we used to do back in the yeah, day. <laughs> you're going out. They're like, oh man, you know what I'm saying? Tonight, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to be alone. So I'm going to go have a one night stand. You're not really addressing the things that you're going through. You're going to always circle back around. The true, the true aspect of it is, is that when you're in the healing process, you want to connect with someone who's on that same path. 
not still mm-hmm. stuck. You know what I'm saying? Because those things are still going to come up. But you, then you then you learn how to walk together before you learn how to talk. Mm-hmm. Right. Learn how to walk the same paths because if you walk the same, if you're walking on that path, you know you can kind of be that support. Like, hey, no, 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 come on back over here. Nothing, nothing serious. Right. I just want to let you know that, hey, we walk in this path. I, I want you to let you know that you're not by yourself. You know what I'm saying? I want to I want to walk with you for a little bit if you allow me to. Right. And then whatever comes from there, because now you're both on the path of finding areas of healing through the trauma. But you're being honest with it. There's nothing physical about it. You know what I'm saying? It's a different sort of intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Intimacy. Right. That is the word of the year. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a different feeling of intimacy when you could do it with mm-hmm. another person. Oh. I don't think that men are exposed to those types of intimacies, though. We are. We just don't recognize. We're men. We don't recognize this stuff. <laughs> oh. Oh. If you got but love- like Nikki said, you know, as, as, as girls and women, we are, you know, that's just what we do. Like these conversations that we have among each other, they are very intimate conversations right. and it doesn't have anything to do with sex. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, romanticism or whatever. And, and I think that this is such a beautiful conversation to have for myself, I don't get to have these conversations with men that aren't related to me, right. you know, with men who you, you that I just met on the internet. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's so, it's very beautiful and it's very lovely. And I appreciate your time yeah, for this. Me too. Um, and your wisdom and your experience and just, and your, your work, unbelievably important work. I appreciate mm. that. I'm just trying to do my part and trying to help others on the way while I'm doing you know. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Because now, you know, I can send some folks your way. Mm-hmm. So glad that I came across your Instagram yeah. and so glad that we have been able to get together. So usually we ask each other questions and we're glad to have other people to ask questions. So we call this segment like our rapid fire. Even though it's not very rapid. Our editor be like, uh, can y'all shorten this up? <laughs> <laughs> But if you're willing to play, I have three questions for you. And I think you kind of answered one of them already, which is how do you encourage yourself when you go through a hard time? Oh, man. My self-talk is on par, right? I'm the the first line of defense when I'm going through something hard. Mm. So I take responsibility for that. So when I'm going through something, I remind myself, hey, Tony, you're awesome, man. I'm the first I love you that I have before anyone else. Amazing. Lovely. Mm. Mickey? I find that, you know, if you let enough time go by and you try to keep your head about you Mm. and you stay introspective and patient with yourself, you end up with some perspective down the line. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty good at this point if I'm just all the way in the hole. If the best thing I can say to myself is, you know, this sucks right now, but someday I'm going to understand it better. Right. It gets me out of hopelessness right. yes. and back into something a little more productive. Yeah. Right. I tend to use the pictures that I take because I'm a very visual person. My memories, like if, you know, I'm in the dark head space, I usually will end up looking at social media for something, but then I'll look at all the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. It's a record of like, you ain't been sitting around doing nothing. 
that's one of the things that comes up for me is that I'm like worthless and I'm not doing anything. So social media for the win. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely understand that, man. Definitely understand. It's like your own little personal portfolio. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, Your own progression. Mm -hmm. Question number two, how many backup plans do you make for your original plan? Wow. Um, it took me a long time, but I have 50 backup plans for my original plan. Do you really? I do. And I do it on a day-to-day basis. Uh-huh. So as I grow my organization, the outline of it changes from time to time because something may not work or it may work for a short while, right? So if that doesn't work and it falls out of place, I have 50 other things that I can choose from. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Have those, have those plans. Mickey? I'm going the total opposite route (laughs) because to touch though on something that you said, nothing ever, ever works the way I think it's going to. However, I work really well in faith and I'm really good thinking on my feet. Mm -hmm. And so I have a plan. I don't even, do I have plans? I have ideas. I have ideas. And I set a couple ideas out and then I kind of like let them set sail and I see what floats and I go with that. I will say I never run out of backup plans and quitting is never on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Never. There, there's always an option, but like I, I work well in flow and I, I, I think faith plays a big role in how I move through my life and my business and, and my projects and my art and this podcast and, mm-hmm. and my relationships, everything I do is, yeah, it's not, it's more ideas than plans for me. <laughs> you know what? You ran along the same lines. I don't know why did you just say I have plans. <laughs> you, you thought you was trying to go around the whole thing, but like, no, I have I just ideas. threw some answers, right. huh? <laughs> I used to be a habitual planner and then I got like off of my, my, my jam. Um, I like to have backup plans, but I also leave myself room to decide whether, you know, quitting is an option. Like, is it right for me? Like, is this what I should be doing? Or like, you you know, I do that thing where I question it's like you put three people in the uh, same room and they will say the same thing three, three different, different ways. ways exactly I just heard it yeah I, love it. I just heard it we just all did yeah we said I love especially it. you trying to trick somebody talking about I have ideas no you have plans <laughs> uh, what is something that you want people to remember about you oh uh, that's, that's that's a hard question because I never really thought about it that way I never really think about those things, you know, what I want people to remember me by. I just, I do me, you know, I stay in my own lane, but I guess I would have to say um, my resiliency, my drive to not let this life beat me down. I want to give inspiration to someone else that, Hey, no matter what you go through in this life, you, if you stand up, you, you got a chance to fight it. You know what I'm saying? Don't give up. It's the resiliency that I have of walking through this life and the courage to be able to tell that story to other people, to give them something and always being reminded that it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Mickey? Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's I just I was so focused on Tony's answer that I it's also not something that I really think about because I'm I guess just I would like people I want people to see that I lived my life mm-hmm. I'm living I I'm living every single day that I'm alive and I have that same dude if I can do this <laughs> I've been saying that with my job, my husband and I are business owners, like several different ways. And I tell people all the time, you can do this. If I can do this, anybody can do this. If I can make a podcast, anybody can make a podcast, Mm -hmm. live your life, do your thing. Um, I would like to be a good example of that. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. Um, I hadn't thought about it too much myself either. Uh, I know what I don't want to be remembered as with my children, but <laughs> but uh, in general, I think I just want to be remembered as a place people felt loved, where they felt like home was never far, and then like they felt comforted. I think that's it. <laughs> I like that. Thank you so much. (laughs) I know I already said it, but I'll say it again. I have so much respect for what Mm -hmm. you're doing. I want to thank you for the time and work that you're putting in for the greater good and what you're offering to the global community. I just think, I think what you're doing is so incredible. And uh, I really appreciate that you, you took the time to come here and join the grief after dark party and share it with everybody. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. I had a blast. This is, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, And the honor is mine. Thank you. Man. Thanks everybody for listening. Love Love you guys. guys.